You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Thank you for having me here today. These are difficult times and so we make do with the opportunities that God gave us. I would like to preach the ninth installment of the Gospel Explained series. Would you open your Bible with me? Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 14. I am reading from the English Standard Version. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if you have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin, once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. There was once a time in my life when I didn't care so much about obituaries or news about people who died. Not anymore. You know, when you turn 40, you begin to feel your own mortality and in turn, you also begin to notice famous people who die. I'm not saying this in a morbid sense. I'm saying this with a biblical sense of curiosity and sobriety. People who live big lives die. People who used to seem invincible to us also die. And most importantly, your personal heroes die. I'm sure you noticed that by now. And that is precisely the case with J.I. Packer. Some of you may know him. Packer is a master theologian, a very lucid writer, a powerful personality in the Christian world. A few days ago, the Lord took him home. Why am I curious about this? Because I want to witness how faithful people go home to be with the Lord. There are so many scandals and bad news today in the Christian world. Famous Christian leaders who fall away from the faith. People who used to be household names in Christian circles make it to the big news. Not because of some extraordinary ministry that they do, but because they publicly announce that they are walking away from the Lord. There's a lot of those kinds of stories today. But what I really want to see, what I really want to hear are stories of people who step down from the ministry limelight, 
not because of scandal, but because of old age. I want to hear stories of people who remained faithful to the very end. People like Billy Graham and Arsis Sproul and Ravi Zacharias and Pinagalate si J.I. Packer. These people represent one generation of faithful servants of God, men who changed the evangelical world, men who made big footprints in the history of the church in this century, towering personalities, big personalities in the church. J.I. Packer, in his book, The Quest for Godliness, called the Puritans as the California Redwoods. We don't have California Redwoods in the Philippines, but we have Nara trees, Nara but the idea is the same. What Jay Packer is talking about is this, that California redwoods are big towering trees with large roots firmly planted to the ground. Packer said that the Puritans were spiritual giants like California redwoods whose roots were incredibly deep in the ground in the Bible and whose branches reached the skies. They were strong, durable, and they could weather all kinds of storms. In contrast to California redwoods or Nara trees, Packer looked at the evangelical churches in America and observed the shallowness of many Christians. He described North American evangelicalism as 3,000 miles wide and half inch deep. Malawak nga, pero mababaw naman. These are Christians and Christian leaders who have big ministries and platforms. People who make big splash in society and yet they don't have the towering faith of the Puritans. They want quick ministry results and quick fixes. They are impatient with slow growth. They don't have the time to sit down and learn virtue and godliness. They don't have the patience to sink down their roots deep into the ground of scripture. They think of Christian life as a series of action plans to implement. They are spiritual dwarves, small people with fragile egos who are too quick to walk away from Jesus when things are getting difficult. You know, as pastors, it is our prayer that we will grow and nurture spiritual redwoods or narrow trees in our ministries. We want to raise a generation of believers who will tower high, believers whose roots are deep, believers who will stand tall, who will not easily bow down to the changing times, Christians who are miles wide and miles deep, strong and durable and stable, and they can outlast the most turbulent of storms. How do we do that? These are the kinds of Christians that we seek to build. How do we do that? By sinking our roots deep into the ground of Scripture. By taking our time to grow, by learning the slow and difficult work of building our lives on the foundation of Christ. By steady discipleship, by building a life of godliness, brick by brick. You see, people in a hurry are not like that. They would read Romans 3.23 and then they would make a quick jump to Romans 5.8, another quick jump to Romans chapter 6 verse 23, another quick jump to Romans 8, and then linger long in Romans chapter 12. I mean, let's admit it. When was the last time you spent so much time on the glories of Romans 1 to 7 or Romans 9 to 11? Most Christians only know Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We memorize that 
Pero yung theology ng Romans 1 to 11, we don't think much about those things. Everything else in the book of Romans are considered heavy theological lecturing. But this is not how you grow naras and redwoods. If you want for your life to grow tall and sink deep roots, you need to look hard at scriptures to see glorious truths that you would otherwise miss if you skip them in a hurry. So my point in making this long introduction is this. What kind of Christian life do you have? What kind of Christian life do you want? What kind of Christian strength do you plan for your life? So much has happened in the last four months. For the first time in our collective memory as a global body of Christ, we realize because of the pandemic that we can no longer play church. We can no longer afford to be shallow. We cannot be chill and expect that the storms will not batter us down. Either we become strong redwoods and naras or we become casualties of the storm. This is exactly what Romans 6 is all about. It is not for the faint of heart. Dili ini siya para sa mga huyang. This is not for people who are too busy to listen, too busy to digest eternal truths, too busy to be bothered with theologizing. This is for people who have the patience to slow down, to sit still, to learn to build brick by brick. And that's why we would take a look at the verse again. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 4. Read it again with me. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, One of the challenges of Bible reading is seeing chapters and verses breaks in the page. I'm sure you already know this, but the numbers are not part of the original Bible. Yung mga chapter breaks na yan, hindi yan kasama sa Bible. They are there to help us find locations in the text, but they should not exist. In fact, ESV produced Reader's Bible a few years ago without verses to help us read the Bible like that so that we would learn to read the Bible the way it was written. I mention this because some people read Romans chapter 6 without looking back at what chapter 5 was all about. And because of that, they miss out a lot. So what was chapter 5 all about? In a nutshell, the point of chapter 5, it was all about how the disobedience of one man, death came into the world. Paul was talking about Adam. But then also because of the obedience of one man, justification is given to those who believe. Paul was talking about Jesus. And then chapter 5 ends with something controversial and prone to misunderstanding. Sabi dito sa dulo ng chapter 5, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I'll say that again. Pag dumadami ang kasalanan, dumadami ang grace. I want you to pause for a moment and let that sink in. Pag maraming kasalanan, mas madaming grace. So, so for many people, it's party time. Gusto nyo na maraming grace? E di damihan nyo ang kasalanan ninyo. Hashtag sin pa more. Sige lang, magpakalunod ka sa kasalanan. Total, may grace naman si God. This is one possible misinterpretation of Romans chapter 5. Now, just in case you think that this is absurd, I am not kidding actually. You see, I wish that Romans 6 is a famous chapter in the Bible. Sabi ni Paul, what shall we say then? 
Sabi niya, magpapakalunod na ba tayo sa kasalanan para mas dumami ang grace ni God? I love Paul's answer to, this, to his own question. Sabi niya, by no means. Other translations would say, absolutely not. Certainly not. May it never be. You know, these formal expressions don't carry the weight, the exact weight and the shock and the gravity of what was saying. I think, mas malutong siya sa Filipino. Siyempre hindi, sabi sa ang salita ng Diyos version. In Cebuano, this is what the Cebuano Bible says, Nan, unsa may atong ikasulti, magpadayon ba kita sa pagpakasala? Aron budagaya ang grasya? Palayo ka na. Other translations would say, Dili good, ayaw in town. Or the more colloquial, simbako ka niya. No way. I think it is good to highlight at this point that whether you admit it or not, Christians actually think this. We all know that God is the God of grace. We believe that. We embrace that. And because He is a God of grace, there is something at the back of our minds that says, Okay lang na gumawa ng kasalanan, nagpapatawad naman ang Diyos eh. Silently, without saying it, without talking about it, We abuse the grace of God because we believe that He is a God who forgives. But just because God is gracious doesn't mean that we abuse that grace. In Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12, ito yung nakasulat, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace came to bring salvation, to train us to renounce sin, to teach us how to live godly lives. Jude verse 4 agrees with that. Sabi niya, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our Lord, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude was saying that there are people among you who pervert the grace of God by turning it into a license for sinful living. In other words, the grace of God is not a license to sin. It is our weapon, our power to renounce sin. Grace is used to fight against sin, not to enable sin. Baligtad ang natural impulse natin, ang natural interpretation natin. Now, in verse 2, sabi dito, why can't we live in sin? Verse 2 tells us why. Because we are dead to sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What follows comes one of the most profound and most beautiful of the doctrines of the Christian church, the doctrine of our union with Christ. You can see this in the wordings of the verses that follow from verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Sabi dito, we have been baptized into Christ, baptized into His death, united with Him in death, united with Him in resurrection, in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. These are major doctrinal verses. What is union with Christ? In its most basic definition, union with Christ is summarized in two statements. We are in Christ, Christ is in us. Believe me when I say that the doctrine of our union with Christ is one of the most written about topics in systematic theology. Ang daming libro nito, ang daming philosophy, and ang daming paraan kung paano siya i-explain. Now, 
people would explain it like, Jesus participated in our humanity and now we are partakers of His divine nature. And that is true. Those are some of the ways na ma-explain natin yung ibig sabihin ng union with Christ. Those are heavy concepts. But for the purpose of this sermon, I will content myself with something simple. Union with Christ means na nakikisaw-saw lang tayo sa mga ginawa ni Jesus. We never did good, anything good that merit the grace of our God. Nothing we did can contribute to our justification. Jesus is the one who did good, acceptable, righteous, and holy things. And then when we believed Him, tinanggal niya lahat ng kasalanan natin at ibinuhos niya sa atin yung good works na ginawa niya. He removed our sins and then He deposited righteousness into our account. May tinanggal siya, kasalanan, at may idinagdag siya, katuwiran. Niloadan niya tayo ng katuwiran, ng kabutihan. Hindi tayo ang gamawa, nakikisaw-saw lang tayo, nakikiraid lang tayo. So technically, ang tawag dyan, justification. That's the sermon, by the way, from two weeks ago. Now, why can't you go on living in sin? Because you have been justified. Your entire being has been overhauled. Your sinful nature, your sinful desires are removed. And then God planted new desires and new appetites in you. Iba na ang operating system mo. You are dead to sin. And He replaced you with a new man inside. He fortified your inner man. He gave us new nature. You know this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He injected us with new life. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See? Union with Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what it means to be a Christian and this is why you can't go on sinning anymore. When people think of abusing the grace of God by sinning more, Paul says, wait a minute, take a long, sabi niya. You have union with Christ. You are in Christ. You are in Him. He is in you. You are now a participator in the divine nature. You have whole new sets of appetites. You desire holy things now. Your cravings are altered now because your genetics are altered. Your heart is not the same. Your composition is not the same. Your hunger is not the same. Your appetites are not the same. You are clothed with righteousness. You are a brand new person. How could you want to go back to sin? Patay ka na dyan eh. Hindi na ganyan ang galawan mo ngayon. You don't live there anymore. It's not who you are anymore. That's what it means in verses 1 and 2. You see, about 20 years ago, I know someone close to me who has been living a life of typical sinfulness sa probinsya. Bisyoso, inom, sugal, unlimited nga pamalikas, sigarilyo, you name it, all these things. And then one day, she came to know the Lord. She put her faith in Jesus. The next day, she can't drink or smoke anymore. Something in her new system just can't tolerate these kinds of sins anymore. What happened? New system. New life, new person, she has union with Christ. I know na hindi lahat ng tao ganito yung experience. For some people, the process of change is slow. The removal of vice would take years. Every day, we struggle with indwelling sin. But at least we are not enslaved by it anymore. 
It is not our master anymore. God overhauled you. You are a brand new person. The doctrine about our union with Christ is actually not that hard to understand. Pag pinag-isipan mo talaga siya, hindi siya mahirap intindihin. You know why? Because God already gave us a mechanism to understand it. Yung tinatawag natin na water baptism. What is water baptism? Yung dilublub sa tubig during baptism. Take a look at the verse again. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For some people, water baptism is nothing more than a Sunday afternoon swim with a prayer. Hmm. Something that you do because it is a church thing to do, you know. But baptism goes much further than that. It is not your typical nilublub sa tubig. Baptism is the entire gospel in a nutshell. Look at it like this. The moment you go down into the water, it is a symbolic way that you are joining Jesus in his death and his burial. And then when you go up from the water, in a symbolic way, you are rising with him to new life. And that's why baptism has to be immersion, hindi siya sprinkling. It should symbolize washing away of something. Sabi ni Paul, don't you know this? Do you know that this is a symbol that you are baptized into his death? You died with him. In a way, your past gets buried or washed away in the water. Your sin, your shame, your guilt, they are all dead. They are all gone and done away with. They are all removed from you. They are all cut off from your system. That's what baptism means. I have served in the discipleship ministry in Victory Caloagan for the first six years of my ministry in Victory. And I have witnessed firsthand more than a thousand baptisms in the last 10 years. I have performed hundreds of them myself. I know it's just water. I know that we were just in a swimming pool. I know the ordinariness of all the elements involved. But when people climb down the pool to get baptized, when they recite their faith in Christ, when they declare Jesus as Lord and Savior, I know that I am witnessing the power of the gospel right before my eyes. I know lives are being changed. I know I am witnessing a miracle. I know I am seeing in action the compelling power of our union with Christ. I know a life has turned around. Death has been replaced with life. We were buried with Him. Our old life with all its sin and impurity and rage and lust and guilt and shame and weakness and brokenness, they were all ripped away from us, terminated and done. Shall we go on sinning so that grace will abound? No, said Paul. If you understand your baptism, you know that you are already walking in the newness of life. In Romans 6, 12 to 14, sabi Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin 
will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. There are two things you can do practically from this sermon in order to apply this. And this is where I end. The first one is, do not volunteer your body parts as instruments for sin. When I was in high school, college, I read this text, itong Romans 6 na to, and I was surprised to realize that this is so on point, this is so specific and very relevant to my struggle. I thought, hala, sobrang akirat ng verse na to. Do you know why? Because I knew exactly what parts of my body were being used as instruments of sin. So when I read this verse, ang sabi sa Bible, do not surrender, do not offer away parts of your body as instruments for sin. And I knew that there were parts of my body that I was offering to sin that inaalaw ko na para gamitin sa kasalanan. So the number one thing that you can take away from this sermon, stop offering your body. Stop presenting the parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. How do you do that? Simple. Stand in front of a mirror and do an evaluation of your own body. Tingnan mo yung mga body parts. Actually, I have this trick that I'd like to share with you. Ginagawa ko to sa biyahe. When I was in high school, college, I started traveling. Problema ko lagi, may naiiwan ako pag nagagahe. So I started doing this method to make sure na wala akong maiwan. So ito yung ginagawa ko. I would always imagine my whole body and start imagining, thinking all the parts of my body to find out kung ano yung dapat nadalhin ko. So for example, I am going to a conference or a school competition. So I would just think, so head, ano ang mga bagay na nilalagay ko sa ulo, ginagamit sa ulo na pwedeng maiwan, na dapat nasa bag. So simple, gel, eyeglasses, cotton buds, toothbrush, toothpaste, all those stuff. Cap, if you need that. And then you go down little by little. So neck, for example, kung kailangan mo ng necklace or what. And then t-shirt, undershirt, uh, deodorant, sing-sing, relo, all these things. This is how you find out uh, all the parts of your body so that you will not miss anything. Now, this is the tactic. This is a trick that you can do in order to find out are there parts of your body that are being presented as instruments of unrighteousness. So take an inventory of your body. Stand in front of the mirror and do an inventory one by one. Ito bang ulo ko na to? Is this an instrument of unrighteousness? Are my eyes being used as instrument of unrighteousness? My ears, my nose, my mouth, my words, the way I speak. And then you start going down from head to neck, the body, torso, pababa hanggang doon sa paa. That is how you take an inventory of all the parts of your body. And don't skip the private parts. Don't skip the sensitive parts because chances are those are the parts that are not surrendered to the will of God. Those are the parts na ginagamit as instruments of unrighteousness. The second thing that you can do from this preaching is to start presenting your body parts as instruments of righteousness. Ito yung kabaliktaran. So what you will do is you will begin dedicating all your parts of your body. Lord, I dedicate my head, my intelligence, my knowledge, my language, my eyes, what I watch, what I see, what I speak, what I imagine, all these things. Then little by little you go downward to your all your body parts, dedicate them all to God. Do not allow that there are parts of your body that are not dedicated to the service of the righteousness of God, including the private parts. 
I am saying this because this is the temptation of our time to minimize the holiness of God at lagi nilang nating sinasabi magpapatawad naman ang Diyos. But then the Bible is saying, guys, do something. You have been justified. You have union with Christ. Jesus lives inside you. It means that you have the spiritual strength, the spiritual resources, the spiritual fortitude to do right because Jesus lives inside you. Union with Christ. And now that you are partakers of the divine life, you can now walk in the newness of life. If you know that there are parts of you, instruments, the parts of your body that are being used as instruments of unrighteousness, I challenge you, pray today and say, Lord, I dedicate all these parts. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.